You are listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. All right. Thank you, Haley. That's Haley Davis. Haley is a senior uh, at Allen High School. Thank you, Haley. Haley loves Jesus, you guys. Hey, good morning, church. How are we today? Eh, I'll take it. Uh, Man, if you'll grab your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to be there in just a minute in verses 9 through 13. Uh, As you're turning there, just a a few quick introductions. As Michael Bleeker said earlier, my name is Corey Butler. I am the minister to students here at Citizens Church. Uh, By title alone, some of you are probably intrigued as to how this is going to go today. Um, I hope. Uh, So uh, as many of you think about your life when you were in middle school or high school, you might go into cold sweats because middle school was not good for you. Don't worry, it's not good for really anybody. uh, at high school was hopefully a little bit better. Uh, what might make some of you even more nervous is that when Jamin and I were talking about what I was going to be preaching on this week, he told me to preach on whatever I wanted. Um, so here goes. Uh, Jamin, I love you. Uh, man, a bit about me, you guys. Uh, I've been married to my wife, Meredith, for over 12 years now. Uh, she's not in this service, so I won't cry like I did in the last one. Um, we have three beautiful, amazing kids. My son, Liam, who's about to be nine. My daughter, Norley, who is four. And my little boy, Jude, who is two. He is our English surprise. Uh, two, the, the three years before we moved to be here at Citizens Church, we lived in England, in York, England, as missionaries to York, uh, which was an absolute joy. Jude was our delightful surprise when we were living there, so we have an English child as well. Uh, this December, I will start my 24th year in student ministry. Um, ooh, yeah, that makes me the old guy in the room. That's cool. Uh, there's plenty of gray in my beard that would point to this truth that I've worked with students for that, that long, uh, along with a now large number of adults who would call me their former youth pastor. Some of them actually go to church here now, which is really strange for me. Uh, they're adulting super hard and now like I'm working at the church that they're going to and it's just, it's a thing. Um, Man, you guys, uh, it really is my absolute honor. It is my joy. It's been a privilege for the last 11 months of my life to call this my church home to serve here and to love the people here. I love Plano, strange as that sounds to some people. I love Plano, I love this area. I've been in and out of ministry in this area for a long time. So it's, it's a strangely beautiful thing to be here. And, and I, I'm deeply appreciative. Uh, here's what's gonna happen today. Uh, we're gonna get our Bibles, we're gonna open them up and we're gonna talk for about 20 minutes. Apparently Jamin did that a few weeks ago uh, and he was encouraged greatly with only going for 20 minutes. So we'll see what happens when the youth pastor does it. Uh, we're taking a break in our series in Colossians where we've only gotten through verse 20. So for wherever you podcast, you can catch up. Okay, we want you to do that. We want you to catch up with us. Uh, if you are in Kids City, where are my Kids City people? Where are you? All right, a little bit of noise. We'll work on that. Uh, May you guys have been going through the promises of God this last week when you guys were together in Kid City. You talked about how God promises to protect your faith, which is an absolutely beautiful thing. Uh, you guys, uh, uh, Kid City, when you made your way into the room, you may or may not have grabbed a sermon notes, a guide for you to make it through this time. Uh, hopefully your mom and dad will help you with that just a little bit. If you're a young adult and you grab one of those two, there's no shame. Okay, it's fine. If you're going to use that, we're not going to be mad at you for that. As a matter of fact, good for you. Uh, hey, but let's do this. Uh, my, I feel like I'm going a million miles an hour. So what I want to do is I want to pray for us again. I want to pray for our kids, city people that are in the room. Uh, I just want to pray for us, man, because much like Melissa talks about in, in the kids ministry all the time, we truly believe that it is God and God alone who can change hearts. 
So let's pray and ask the Lord to change our hearts because of our time together this morning. Uh, Lord God, we come to you now as the God who's very good, who sees us, who knows us, and who loves us. We now want to open up your true word. And so, God, we pray that uh, whether you are a, a first grader in the room, God, we pray that you would move in their hearts or someone who's been here a million times. And I pray that you would work in our hearts, God. We pray that the spirit of God would move through uh, the proclamation of the word of God and the people of God this morning. We believe, God, that you can change people's lives and their hearts. So we ask that you would do that. We ask that you would do that this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you have your Bible open, let's look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. We're going to look at the calling of Matthew to follow Jesus. So uh, as you're looking there at that, uh, today our, our key point is this. Our kid city people will understand this. Our key point, if I was summarizing it and giving you kind of my, my sermon in a sentence, uh, we're gonna, is this. The call to follow Jesus comes before anything changes, but following Jesus changes everything. So let me say that one more time. Uh, the call to follow Jesus comes before anything changes, but following Jesus changes everything. Okay, so let's read this passage of scripture together with that thought in mind. As Jesus passed on from there in verse nine, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this said, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. Uh, so what I want to do then is before we kind of dive fully into the passage, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the four groups of people. There's two individuals and then two groups of people that we see in this beautiful calling of Matthew. Uh, man, first, obviously, we got to talk about Jesus. In chapters eight and nine, if you took a look and see what Jesus had been up to, he had been revealing and exercising his authority and his power over lots of different things, okay? So he was revealing his authority and power over illness. Uh, he was revealing that over nature nature, over cultural norms, and most of all, most importantly, over the human heart, showing how he and he alone can change the human heart. Uh, he was a leader and a teacher and a healer, unlike anyone anyone had ever seen before. His authority and his power was completely unprecedented. But in this passage, what we see from him is that he, he saw people. He, he saw Matthew and he knew him and he loved him still. The way Jesus was living his life at this time, the way he was doing things was absolutely flipping the world upside down. So now Matthew, uh, some of your Bibles may say Matthew or Levi. Uh, Levi was a, a Jewish man who had chosen to be a tax collector as a profession, which meant he was more than likely contracted by Rome to take taxes. And tax collectors would also put a little bit on top for themselves. They would take more than they were supposed to uh, for themselves. Now, culturally, this meant if he was a tax collector, he was seen by his countrymen as a traitor. Okay, so he already had a stigma attached to his choice of careers. He had chosen wealth over relationship. So more than likely, he had heard about the things that Jesus had been doing in his area. Uh, in Matthew 9, it says that Jesus was making his way through Capernaum, uh, if you read a little bit before this. He had heard about what Jesus had been doing, healing people, uh, the way that he had treated and dealt with the Pharisees. But I think right here, what we see from Matthew is he saw in Jesus something more. Now, obviously, Matthew had no idea that when he got up and left his tax collector booth, what was going to happen. 
We see that throughout the scriptures. If you read much on the disciples, there's over and over again, they kind of didn't really know what was going on a lot of the time. And, and I think if, if most of you are obvious, if you're a follower of Jesus and you take a look back on your life and think about when God called you, when you started following him, you probably remember uh, this feeling. When I was 16, I moved to my second high school. I went to three high schools and I moved to my second high school. Uh, the week that I moved there, the church that we were going to was going to our student camp, summer camp. Uh, I'm a huge proponent of summer camp for, for this reason. At that camp, 16 years old, God called me out of darkness and to light. He rescued me. He said, come follow me. And I did. Now at 16, I obviously had no idea what was happening. Two, two years later, God called me into ministry where I started uh, in ministry at 18 years old, working at a church. Uh, now, if you would have told 18 year old me or 17 year old me uh, that at 42, you'll still be at this. The first thing I would have said was 42 gross. Okay. <laughs> the second thing I would have said is probably not. Probably not, but isn't, but isn't God funny and gracious and kind? Isn't he good? So that's, that's Jesus and Matthew. Then the first group of people, the tax collectors and sinners. In ancient times, uh, these words, tax collectors and, and sinners were synonymous. They, they went together. They were almost interchangeable. These uh, people that were gathered together at this meal in honor of Jesus thrown by Matthew uh, had been invited in by their wealthy friends. So uh, most tax collectors, as we talked about a minute ago, were considered to be people who betrayed their countrymen in order to receive from Rome. Okay, but Matthew more than likely would have had a really good idea of what these people were like. He had these people into his home to honor Jesus. The reason he knew about them is because he was them. Like that day, he was them. So he, he knew them. These were people who undoubtedly walked the city where they were with the same sense of emptiness and hurt and public shame that Matthew endured. They knew. They knew this, they felt this. So it seems apparent that whatever's happening to Matthew, he wanted to happen to people just like him. Okay, then the last group, we got the Pharisees. So uh, once again, the religious leaders of the day were bothered by Jesus, okay? His way of life was wild and upsetting. Their legalism and their power and their sense of control. They were absolutely confused by why he would eat with such people because they would never eat with such people. They associated themselves with him. The Pharisees didn't see themselves as having sick hearts or needing a remedy. And then we see there at the end of this passage, Jesus gives them a, a commandment and a little bit of a homework from Hosea chapter six. He gives them something that they should know about, but obviously weren't doing. So in Hosea six, he tells them, he says, I want you to mirror the heart of God. I want you to, to do more than just display some empty religious practice. So then, these are the people that are in the passage. What I wanna do then is work our way through a couple of verses at a time and talk about kind of our, our key point then again. The call to follow Jesus changes everything, but because of following Jesus, everything changes, okay? So let's do that. Let's look back then at verse nine, okay? It says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew, Levi, sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. Uh, now, in this passage right here, what we see is something like the other three times we see this in the scriptures where Jesus calls the disciples. Uh, there's, there's immediacy with which he obeyed Jesus' calling. 
Okay, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, when they were called into followership, it happened the exact same way. Jesus calls them as fishermen, come and follow me, and they leave their nets. Jesus calls him a tax collector, and he leaves his tax booth. Okay, so uh, on this had to be the strangest and best days of Matthew's life. He had probably grown to expect something very different from religious leaders. He had to have expected something completely different, like a rebuke or a public judgment. Instead, what he gets from Jesus is follow me, come be with me, come find life with me. Culturally, you have to understand how wild and shocking this was because a rabbi would usually never ever be seen publicly or privately with a tax collector, ever. So this is what he had come to learn. Jesus calls Matthew to follow him before anything changed. He called Matthew to follow him before he did anything for Jesus. Jesus didn't wait on Matthew to qualify himself or clean himself or prove himself as value to the kingdom. He was still sitting at his booth in his sin when Jesus called him. Right there in that moment, Jesus called Matthew with a full knowledge of his life and the, everything that was attached to his public standing as a tax collector. If you read a little bit earlier in this passage in chapter nine and verse four, we see that Jesus knows the hearts and the minds of man. He knew everything that was going on in his life, everything prior to that moment and everything that would happen moving ahead. And in that moment, Jesus saw Matthew, he knew Matthew and he called him in. Uh, I, I really do love being a student minister. It fits me, it suits me. Um, a little bit of because the, I'm a little bit loud. You should try being in our office with me and Melissa Cotter and Emily Lemke at the same time. There's a lot of noise happening in there. I really do love being a student minister though. One of my favorite parts of being in student ministry is the adult leaders. Uh, some of the adult leaders are here. They made a lot of noise in the first hour. So um, one of the, the best parts of this is because when kids come into our ministry, when they come in the doors on a Wednesday night or when we go and do things together as a group, our adult leaders see our kids. They see them. Guys, if you're over the age of 18 or 19, do you remember 11? Do you remember 13? Do you remember 15? Do you remember how messy and hard that was? How difficult that was? But to be seen, to be known, to be seen and to be known Man, when kids are treated like this and are loved and seen and known, man, the call to follow Jesus after this comes entirely differently to their heart. It just affects them differently. And I know I'm talking about my students and the adult leaders, but I, I don't know that the adults in the room are any different. I, I, we're not. The kids in the room are not any different. We wanna be seen and we wanna be known and we wanna be loved. This was Matthew's heart and this is what was happening to him. Uh, last week, I had the joy of having coffee with one of my former students who's now adulting super hard. Uh, and it's really strange to me, he's an adult and he's got a job and he's taller than me and he's bigger than me and he's got all kinds of wisdom pouring out of his mouth. But we sat down together to have coffee uh, because the week before that, two weeks before that, he, he came through the doors of our church, of our building. And I saw him and my eyes lit up and I got excited. I ran to that dude because I'm not ashamed. And I ran to him and I, I hugged that dude so hard. I was so happy. And like, he was kind of leaning over me because he's bigger than me now. And we, I was like, dude, we got to hang out. And we went and we got coffee and we talked about enduring the trials of young adulthood, which is a super hard season of life. And after talking for about an hour, we got back here to the office, drinking some mud leaf coffee. And he said, um, hey man, I just wanted you to know that when I walked in the doors of your church and you hugged me, and you were glad to see me. It had been years since I felt seen and known or even wanted in a church. And man, that ripped me up. 
And that broke my heart. But praise God that Jesus sees us and that he knows us and that he calls us in. Secondly, in this passage, we, we see as we continue on our key point, the second part of this is we see that the call to follow Jesus changes everything. So the call is contagious and it's compelling. Let's look back to then again at verse 10. So verse 10 says, it says, and as Jesus reclined at the table in his house, Matthew's house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Man, something really mysterious and beautiful happened that day to Matthew it, that as we'll see in just a little bit is a lot like the story of Zacchaeus. It's absolutely incredible how connected to it is, but it had to be exhilarating and filled with joy and just surprise for Matthew. He had probably grown very um, accustomed to the way that he had been treated day in, day out for the way that he lived his life and what he chose. So for example, if you didn't know, tax collectors in this time were not allowed to tithe their money because it was thought to have been gained unfairly. So they had no place in worship. Tax collectors at this time would never ever have been seen with a religious leader. Tax collectors at this time were considered so untrustworthy that they weren't allowed to testify in court. They, there were all of these things that were filling up with Matthew and, yet, and then Jesus steps in and just shakes up and changes everything. Matthew more than likely believed that God wanted nothing to do with him. He thought he wanted nothing to do with him. And then his brief moment, Matthew's view of himself and the world around him completely changed because of the way that Jesus called him in. And so Matthew wants to honor Jesus by having this meal, this feast at his house. And he wanted other people like him, these other sinners and tax collectors to experience this same thing. So here's what all this led to in Matthew's life was mercy. Mercy, like we see from Matthew, comes from a heart that's felt its spiritual bankruptcy that knows and sees that there's something missing, there's something wrong, there's a sickness, what is it? There's a humility there. Matthew knew that his heart was sick. And then there was a readiness to experience and help those who were like him, whether they knew it or not. And so in one of my favorite parts is if you go and read some of the other versions of this, in Mark's translation of this, he says that many of them, the tax collectors and sinners, follow Jesus because of this time. So in this moment, the mercy of Jesus poured out onto, the, onto Matthew, which led to this pouring out of mercy on those around him, which led to others walking with and knowing Jesus. Uh, this moment uh, in this house makes me think of a book. We just finished reading as a staff. Uh, one of our elders, Jeff Saladin, encouraged me to read this book called The Common Rule by Justin Early. Uh, and Jeff, if you're in here, uh, confession, I got it and didn't read it for a couple months. Uh, but I did read it because Jamin told me it had to. Uh, but it's really good and I really liked it a whole bunch. As a matter of fact, this, this held on me. I was telling someone this morning, this part of the, of the book held on to me in light of what we see happening in this meal. It says, uh, early says this, is in a secular age, eating may be our best chance for evangelism. One of the main things our neighbors who don't know Jesus need is simply to trust a Christian. That begins at the table a table lovingly set with good conversation and an extra chair. You guys, I, maybe it's not the table in your home. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's like the, the, the insane guys in my home group that, that will take people rock climbing, outdoor rock climbing to experience the mercy of God together. Listen, this mercy that is received from Jesus becomes mercy that is given to others. This is what it is. 
This call from Jesus in this moment becomes contagious and compelling. So in this passage, the call to follow Jesus, it looks like three things, okay? Uh, and one is this, there is a departure. The call to follow Jesus, there's a, there's a departure from a former way of life for Matthew out of this false hope and this, this identity of darkness and shame out of empty riches into a relationship with Jesus where there was fullness in life. That was the beginning of it. Uh, the second thing we see is that, is that Jesus wasn't waiting on another version of Matthew to show up. He, he wasn't waiting on some other Matthew to get there so then he could call him away from his booth. I saw you started giving things away, Matthew. Come follow me. But instead he calls him in the middle of it. Thirdly, we see that it shows us that following Jesus changes us and impacts others. Looking at these verses from Matthew 9, Matthew's uh, followership of Jesus reveals something completely uh, different, antithetical from the life of the Pharisees. Let me read verses 12 and 13 to you. So it says, but when he heard, when Jesus heard these things, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came out to call the righteous but sinners. Matthew, in his humility, knew that he was sick, saw that he needed Jesus, the great physician. So the mercy of Matthew is revealed by a heart, uh, revealed a heart that was being changed by God. The Pharisees, on the other hand, in their pride, saw themselves as having no need of a physician. Therefore, their arrogance revealed a heart that was distant from God. Or as Jamin has said in the last few weeks, there was a distance between what they proclaimed to believe and how they actually lived their life. So with that being said, I want to stop and consider Jesus' desires, even for the Pharisees. If you look at verse 13, one last time, he says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. Jesus desires, he longs for mercy. He wanted mercy to take control of even the Pharisees' lives in the same way that it did with Matthew in that moment. Uh, mercy defined as this. Mercy is a kindness or a goodwill toward the miserable and afflicted joined with a desire to relieve them when one could do otherwise. In other words, I see that you're sick and I see that you're broken. I can help and I want to help. Jesus asked the Pharisees in this moment to search their heart. Friends, we, we all experience the need for mercy around us. Uh, the big problem is, do we see it and do we do something with it? I'm trying to teach my eight-year-old about this right now, which is a bit complicated. There's, there's a lad at church, lad. There's a boy at church. There's a boy at, there's a boy at school. Um, it's been incredibly unkind to him. And it's been incredibly difficult to teach him to be merciful in hopes that mercy would come. But friends, we're, we're walking into the holiday season where we're gonna sit around the table with a lot of people and that may bring you anxiety and the thought of mercy is the furthest thing from you. But as you get ready to sit down at Thanksgiving or move through our city in the holidays, I think there will be so many opportunities for us to show the mercy of God. So in all this, the, the point then is this, is that, is that God wants his people to be alive in their hearts. He wants them to have feelings of affection toward him and mercy towards one another. He does not want a people who just simply do their religious duties in a half-hearted or compulsory fashion. He wants more. So in closing then, a proclamation, an invitation to, to three groups of people in here. Um, you guys, I, I think the call to follow Jesus for some of you in the room may have come a long time ago, maybe in the last year or two even, okay? And, and Jesus called you, friends, 
Be reminded, he called you and all you had was need. He called you and all you have is a sick heart. He called you when you were still sitting at your tax booth. He called you and he rescued you. So reading the story of Matthew should serve as a reminder that should just absolutely breathe life into your bones. And you should be overjoyed that he called you out of darkness and placed you in light. He took you out of a pit of despair and put you on steady ground. He took you from just absolutely floundering and looking for identity to having identity and purpose. This is what he did. Those who've experienced, those of you who've experienced the mercy of God, be awakened to it and be reminded of the opportunity you have to show mercy to others. Second, man, for some of you guys in here, especially with this many kids in the room, or maybe you came with a friend, uh, you've listened to the story of Matthew and friends, the, the day of calling to follow Jesus is today. Like we prayed for you today, this morning, we prayed that in this place, someone would hear the call of Matthew and realize that for their own life, that the spirit of God would call them into salvation. You've listened to this story. You've been listening to your parents talk about Jesus. You've been listening to your friends share the gospel with you at school. And now you've heard the call of God in your soul. Friends, I implore you, I beg you, please talk to one of our staff, our ministers, one of our elders, talk to your parents, talk to your friend that brought you today about what it looks like to follow Jesus. Lastly, um, to others of you here, you, you hear the story of Matthew and it, and it all still seems very unbelievable to you or something that couldn't possibly be directed at you because of your history, because of the things that you have done. Friends, he sees you and he loves you. Friends, he offers you mercy. Jesus longs to rescue you. Friends, you are wanted by Jesus. I want that to sink in. You are wanted by him. Your heart and your life are fully known. And he wants you. He wants you. Let's pray. God, I pray over Citizens Church, over this body of believers, God, I pray that as we hear these words and these truths, God, I pray that they would stir our souls, God. It would stir us to mercy. It would remind us of the mercy that we've received from you in Jesus' name. God, I pray for us to be a people that remember or think about our life without Jesus. Let that stir our soul and be reminded of how good it is that we sit under salvation. God, I pray specifically now for anyone that would believe that this call of Jesus is not for them. God, do a work in their heart. God, we thank you for your word that is true and trustworthy. We can see these things and believe and know that you are good. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.